Welcome to The War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. This weekend, we're going to focus on the music of one of America's truly great baritones, John Charles Thomas, who had a fantastic career as an operatic baritone and a concert baritone. The war led to a curtailment of many of his concert activities because it was very inconvenient to travel to give civilian concerts. Plus, the tax right made it so, you know, you basically didn't earn any money off of them. During this period, he did a three-year radio series over CBS sponsored by Westinghouse. And thankfully, several of these recordings survive. However, when you include the Ken Darby Chorus and Victor Young and his orchestra, plus one of America's truly great storytellers, John Nesbitt. Every part of this program is just an absolute treasure. And most of the surviving uh, recordings I've been able to find come over the Armed Forces Radio Service. So we're going to play two episodes this weekend. This one comes from August 6th, 1944. Americans and your allies. Armed Forces Radio brings you a special rebroadcast with Victor Young and the orchestra, the Ken Darby singers, John Nesbitt, and America's beloved baritone, John Charles Thomas. Hello, dear friends, this is John Charles Thomas. Well, here we are again with another half hour of song, story, and music for you men and women in the armed forces of the United Nations. For story, we have John Nesbitt, one of America's best. For music, there's Victor Young and the orchestra, and for song, the Ken Darby chorus and myself. And now, Vic, with the preliminaries over, let's get started. To start the proceedings, I have a rousing song, Border Ballad, by Frederick Cowan to sing for you. March, march, a trick and tibiot deal, by the deal, dinny a march, forward in order. March, march, a steel and lead a stale, all the blue bonnets are bound for the border. Many a banner spread, others above your head. Many a crest that is famous in story. Mount and make ready then, sons of the mountain glen. Fight for the queen and our old Scottish glory. Mount and make ready then, sons of the mountain glen. Fight for the queen and our old Scottish glory.
Come from the hills where your hearers are grazing. Come from the glen of the buck and the roe. Come to the crag where the beacon is blazing. Come with the buckler, the lance, and the bow. Trumpets are sounding, war steeds are pounding. Stand to your arms and march in good order. England shall many a day tell of the bloody fray when the bonnets came over the border. England shall many a day tell of the bloody fray when the blue bonnets came over the border. When a romantic young man inherits a dress shop, you have a plot for a good show especially if Jerome Kern writes the music. Those were the ingredients of Roberta, as captivating an operetta as ever hit Broadway, and here is one of its top tunes, Yesterday.
A dear friend, George McFarlane, used to sing a favorite of mine. In fact, I think it's an old favorite of almost everybody's. Can't you hear me calling, Caroline? Avenge your days of bondage. To arms, to arms arise. 
Once again, we are to be entertained by the words of one of the leading narrators of our time, John Nesbitt. Here is a scene which took place over four and a half centuries ago, and yet which has a surprising connection with a thing that is taking place today. In the Italian town of Padua, in a dark attic room, a white-bearded 84-year-old man named Bernard Trevisan is lying on a bed. He is very ill. Around in the dusty littered room are shelves upon shelves of chemicals and crucibles and glass bottles and delicate scales. On a charcoal stove is a huge clay bowl which is filled with a vile-smelling concoction that is slowly boiling and filling the dark room with choking fumes. The old man's eyes look despairingly toward that great boiling crucible, and his lips move in a prayer. God grant me one more day of life to finish my experiment. Bernard Trevison had begun 70 years before to search for a secret that has broken men's hearts since the days of Babylon, the secret recipe for turning lead into gold. He began as a boy of 14. He was a rich man's son. He inherited immense estates and huge fortunes, a millionaire many times over. 
He then traveled to Egypt, to Cyprus, Rome, Greece, Palestine, and Turkey. He searched six years for the emerald tablet upon which Sarah, the wife of Abraham, had engraved the secret formula for making gold. And then he searched 14 years for a cave near Hebron in Palestine, where Alexander the Great had said he had seen the secret written on the walls. And then for 10 years he read the ancient books of mysterious matters that were found in the Egyptian ruins. And now his estates were gone, his millions spent. He had scarcely enough left to keep him from starving. He was a beggar. And yet at the end he believed he had found it, the secret recipe for making gold. But Bernard Trevison was a little too late. With the great crucible still boiling and the experiment unfinished, a visitor came into that smoking room and finished it for him. That visitor was death. And just in case you would like to know what that secret recipe was, for which countless men have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, and for which Bernard Trevison devoted his entire life, here it is. I quote it exactly as it appears in the ancient crumbling-paged books of the alchemists. With it, say the old directions, you can turn lead into gold and make yourself a millionaire. Have you a pencil ready? First, take 2,000 hard-boiled eggs. Remove the shells and heat them in a flame until they are thoroughly charred. Now, mix the whites and yolks thoroughly and add the charred shells, which have been well powdered, and pour in also the following ingredients. Olive oil, borax, lethard, sulfuric acid and the milk of two white Arabian horses. Now place the mixture in a large crucible and stirring constantly, heat it over a slow fire for eight years. And there you have it. The only thing to watch is not to make too much gold at once or you will lower its value and make it as worthless as sand. Actually, intelligent men paid fortunes for that ridiculous recipe. Of course, not a grain of gold ever came out of it. But it took eight years to find out that it wasn't any good, and by that time, the man who had sold you the formula was far, far away. And yet the greatest real scientists of the past have firmly believed that gold could be made out of cheaper metals. Sir Isaac Newton, who discovered the law of gravitation, was one of these men. And so was Robert Boyle, the father of modern chemistry. And every king in Europe had alchemists working for him. King John XXII spent $90 million on his alchemist experiments, and he never did find the secret. Right up into our own times, this search to make synthetic gold is still going on. Only 45 years ago, our own United States assay office bought 10 pounds of gold from a man named Dr. Stephen H. Emmons, who firmly claimed to have made it out of lead. Von Ludendorff, the great German general of the last war, spent $100,000 trying to find that secret. And as a matter of fact, it can be done. By means of modern atom-smashing machines, gold has been made out of mercury. But the cost is so great, and the amount of gold you can make is so small, that ordinary gold is cheap beside it. But in the thousands of lives devoted to this endless search, not a single man found anything but heartbreak and despair. And yet, in all of those years of greedy gold hunting, these men discovered the modern science of chemistry and metallurgy. A little over a century and a half ago, for example, an alchemist discovered tungsten, a metal which is one of the hardest and strongest in existence, two and a half times as strong as steel. And yet for a hundred years, it was perfectly useless because no furnace could stand the heat of melting it down. 
and so it remained in the jars on the chemist's shelves, just a little curiosity, priceless but worthless. And it is strange that some of this knowledge should have come from those half-mad gold seekers, like Bernard Trevison that day when he lay on his deathbed, looking with weary eyes at the bubbling crucible and saying over and over again, God, grant me one more day of life to learn the secret. Break for me but one seal that is unbroken. Speak for me but one word that is unspoken. Yet the experiment that ruined his life was one of the hundreds of thousands that broke for us of today the locks on nature's greatest secrets and opened for us the treasure houses of the earth. Thank you, John Nesbitt.
Victor Young now has one of his delightful arrangements. A very charming little tune by George Gershwin called It's Wonderful. All right, Vic, let's hear it. finest and best-known hymns was written by Sir Arthur Sullivan. He was the musical end of the great team of Gilbert and Sullivan. The hymn is Onward Christian Soldiers. Marching as to war With a 
Well, dear friends, we've sung our last song until our next visit with you one week from now. You know, Vic and Ken and I especially enjoy getting letters from you service men and women, and if, if you have a song or musical selection you would like to hear, just drop us a line. We'll do our best to oblige. Address your letters to Armed Forces Radio, Los Angeles, USA. So until next week at this same time, this is John Charles Thomas saying goodbye and God bless. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, kencurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net.